When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I'm joined by Mr. Oliver K., Mr. Patty Barkley, and from way up north of the border, Mr. Graham Spears. Today we'll be discussing Arsenal's win at Aston Villa, uh, the uh, comeback by Spurs against Liverpool, and also we'll be asking what's going on with referees in Scotland, as well as dipping our little toes into the World Cup bidding pool. All right, let's kick things off with Spurs and Liverpool. Um, I want to start with something before we talk about the game. I just wonder, does David Ngog own a television? And if so, did he see what happened last week uh, with that Rafael van der Vaart free kick? Because it seems to me absurd that if, if you've seen that last week, why would you jump like that again with your hands protecting your face and give away a pretty silly penalty? Let's ask Ollie, since he lives closest to David Ngog than any of us. Uh, well, first of all, I think conceding a penalty against Tottenham is, is not necessarily a dangerous tactic. I mean, it, it just means that you get a goal kick or, or, or that you gain possession soon afterwards. So, um, Jermaine Defoe continuing their wonderful record from the penalty spot this season. Um, but, yeah, he's, he, he was absolutely stupid. I cannot understand why Ngog would stick his hands out in that way and, um, and, and stop the ball. It, it's just inexplicable. It just, um, you know, it, it reminds me of that old... Dave Bassett quote about footballers having the brains of a ro- uh, rocking horse. Uh, Graham, um, th- this kind of stuff, right? it, it seems that like we, we've seen it happen for sort of 20, 30 years. Although I remember when I was a little kid, it was more footballers putting their hands down in front of their, their, their private parts, and yeah. now they want to be want to go and protect their, their face, maybe for commercial reasons. Um, did you, do, we, do you see this north of the border, or is it just a, a, a Ponzi English thing? No, you see it uh, in the SPL. I mean, in my experience, I've seen footballers do all sorts of inexplicable things which cannot be explained afterwards. Sometimes raising the arm uh, is a kind of instinctive thing where they, they don't really think about it. But the thing that amazes me is when players do such a thing and then vehemently complain about it as if it's against the rules. The amount of players and sometimes even managers who aren't familiar with rules regarding handball and penalty or free kicks. So... I'm the same as Ollie. I, I, I see it quite a lot, and players complain about it uh, as if they don't appreciate the laws of the game. It's it's amazing. 
Uh, fellow yeah. Scott, Andy it, Gray, Patty, it, made the point last night yeah. uh, that um, given what footballers earn, yes. you know, getting hit in the face by a free kick, yeah. you know, they, they should put up with that. Absolutely. I, I, but, but where it's all gone wrong, of course, it's, it's uh, since they start getting paid in image rights. That's why they now raise their hands <laughs> to protect the countenances. <laughs> Um, instead of the more substantial parts that um, lie south of the of the belt, um, but uh, no, the, I mean the stupidity of footballers never ever ceases to amaze me. The the way they are drawn to the crowd, even though they're expressly uh, told that you can't go into the crowd for fear of a yellow card. Uh, the way they remove their shirts, although they're expressly told that you can't remove your shirt for fear of a yellow card, um, which makes you wonder if 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 a footballers aren't constantly at the what might be called now called the Mourinho trick of getting yourself booked deliberately it, it is it is extraordinary that's uh, as you say that the Ngog incident should happen so soon after the um after the Fabregas one I mean who would have thought Fabregas would be a stupid footballer of all the footballers in Britain if you arrange them in a list of who of likelihood to be a stupid footballer Fabregas I would have thought would have come at the bottom and yet are we started. sure it was Fabregas last week and not um, might have been Nasri mm, yeah. well okay well he'd have been but second last and to be fair Fabregas was jumping with his uh, he was jumping with, with his, his arms up um, I I, I want to just take a quick look at, at, at Jermaine Defoe because, um, of course, he missed the penalty. I'm just wondering um, now when he's when he's fit again, um, where does he fit into this into the Spurs team? Given as, that you know, as, as one of four strikers, as, as one of, of three-stroke four strikers. I mean, they, they so he fits on the bench basically. No, no, he fit, he plays in some games and not in others. You know, and there will be certain games in which they want. Uh, you know, size and power up front, and they play Crouch and Pavlichenko. There'll be other games. With two strikers then. In which they, well, they sometimes they'll play with two strikers, sometimes they'll play with one and one. Uh, in other words, if, if there will be certain games, I will. I, I reckon against top four sides where Tottenham will play with one striker and a Van der Vaart. That way you can. It, it gives you a better balance in the team. Uh, there will be other games where they play with uh, Crouch and Defoe. Um, there'll be other games where they play with Crouch and Pavlichenko. I mean, I think that that is the way that... It, 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 it does seem kind of curious. I want to throw this out to, to, to you guys, um, uh, Graham and Ollie as well, though, because it seems to me most um, top teams... Um, today, not just just in England, but I think uh, across Europe, you know, they'll have big squads, but they generally have a hierarchy, or at least when it comes to strikers, a sense that you know, if it's United, yeah. it's Berbatov and and Rooney. If it's um, if it's Chelsea, it's it's, it's Drogba, uh, Anelka, and and, and Maluda. Um, and you can extend that out to, to you know to, to Barcelona or or Inter Milan or Real Madrid. I, it's a bit of an unusual approach uh, to, to have to change your, your strikers and your midfield sort of constantly and change the formation as well, isn't it, Wally? I don't think it's that unusual at all. I think Harry Redknapp has got, I would say, the best options um, below his first 11, whatever that first 11 may, may be. I would say his options from the bench are, are, are better than those of any of, any of his uh, fellow managers. I would say... Alex Ferguson hardly ever picks a settled team. He hardly, I mean, he, he changes all over the pitch from one game to the next. It's, it's, it's common to, to make five or six changes from one game to the next. Tottenham 
haven't historically had the need to do that because they've, they've not really been in um, in Europe and not really well certainly not in the Champions League but they, they need a variety they need a quality and a, and a quantity in, in their options particularly up front Defoe's been out for whatever it is uh, nearly three months with a with a with an injury Van der Vaart is now out people drop in and out they need they need cover and I would say I, of all the managers um in the Premier League, I don't think anybody has got better options up front than uh, Harry Redknapp. Oh, okay, well, it's, because it's funny because you see, this is what gets me about tons of point I'm trying to make. Is there's so much? I mean, I think it's tremendous that they've achieved what they've achieved. Because as my information, I, I spoke to a Tottenham coach a couple of weeks ago, and he said there's no question that the only striker that we should be playing one up to accommodate Van der Vaart, and there's no question that the only striker here who who can play as a lone striker. Because the foe is too small and, and too lazy, and, and Crouch, you know, is, is is a different sort of play. The only guy who can do that do it is Pavlochenko, but you have to kind of coax and prod him into into in, into working into working for the team and keeping him interested. Uh, Graham, let's move on and talk about something uh, um, happy, uh, which is Liverpool's four four two, which uh, I, I I I find remarkable because obviously with uh, with Jared out, you know, you have to try something different. In this case, he goes and changes the whole formation to a 4-4-2, which we saw last week and this week in Gog and Taurus. Um, just philosophically, what, what do you make of that, of, of a team changing its formation when its big star goes out? Um, I don't mind. It's kind of um, <clears throat> linked to the last question about consistency of selection. I don't mind uh, managers playing one up, two up, playing 4-2-3-1 or... or um, mixing their systems, but when you mention 4-4-2 and Liverpool, I immediately think of Craig Levine and this recent tactical fuss that was triggered by Levine when he said um, playing two strikers up top is definitely on the way out. <laughs> and Levine thinks in one or two or three years or four years you'll never see it at all, which I disagree with. I mean, when I look around the EPL and uh, games uh, in Scotland, I see plenty uh, teams playing with two up, but Levine thinks it's a form of football suicide now to play two strikers. But in terms of Roy Hodgson or Alex Ferguson or anyone else, I do not see at all why they shouldn't uh, change their shapes week by week. Where I do have a beef with is what you were talking about previously when you talk about teams changing strikers. I mean, I was steeped in a football tradition where clubs had an iconic striker a striker that would be there the main focal point of the team and it seems to me that a team like Spurs right now don't have that but different systems for different games is fine by me Uh, moving on to uh, Villa and Arsenal. Um, Arsenal talk about a, a team where you know I think there has been an evolution system-wise from from a four-four-two. Of course, over the years now it's it's more of a four-three-three. But what what I think has been really impressive this year, and I certainly had my doubts um, when he was signed, mm. uh, but he's been he's been fantastic. Is um, is Marwan Shamak. Yes. We knew he was hardworking. He puts a team first. You can also, you know, put it long to his head if you want, and he'll take care of the ball. But he's also scoring goals, Patty. And yes. I, where does he rank among you know, this among the summer's best signings? The very, Premier League's best. Very, very highly, in my opinion. I mean, 
they uh, Arsenal have had a problem uh, with a, a, a classical centre forward. Um, you do you do them. They're so good at working the ball wide, and, and then after that they have to work it back and inside again. I mean, this has given them a new dimension. In fact, they've they've improved the team greatly this season, and in 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 a couple of positions. And and the ability now, the the variety that he gives them, and in the way that you've just described, um, has taken them really far forward the only problem is that if only Wenger had uh, sorted out his uh, central defensive problems more convincingly in the summer uh, I think Arsenal would be the favourites for the league uh, title and and Chamak would obviously be uh, a, a principal reason for that. Um, I think he's been I think he's been absolutely marvellous. Is and considering this is his first season in the English game, um, he's lived up to every expectation. Um, they can get rid of uh, Bentner now um, safely. Um, and Van Persie can get rid of himself. And he keeps getting hurt. Well, I think when he uh, this is always the problem with Van Persie when he plays, he's fine. When he plays his way back in, he's fine, uh, which he's been trying to do recently. Um, but uh, no, the the, the 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 main thing is that Arsenal have got a centre forward and a new dimension. I think he's been I, almost. In fact, I would put him up with Van der Vaart as the best uh, a new entrant to the Premier League. Uh, I um, I never thought I'd say this of a Gerard Houllier team, but um, are Villa playing actually better than their results? Um, I think it's easy to look at Villa's performances in a, in a more positive light because they've got so many young players and, and, and so many of the performances of the young players, Bannon or Brighton, Clark, etc., have, have been encouraging. But I, they, they, no long, they no longer look like the team. They look like uh, under O'Neill, which was always going to uh, punch its way, always going to threatened to get results and probably until about March when the lack of rotation meant that they got tired um, but they, they they just look like a young naive team um, and I think that that is to worry because uh, Julio just seems to be accepting that and making excuses for it and explaining um, I mean I, I, there's that whole thing of managing expectations I think I think he's revised or altered people's perceptions and expectations of, uh, of Villa very, very quickly um, and I, I can see what he's trying to do in terms of what they do on the pitch but yes they're probably playing better but they're not playing well enough to make you think they're going to be a 6th, 7th, 8th team like they probably should be no, no, I think that they're getting the results that play deserves. Of course, they should have had a crushing victory over Manchester United, but they didn't uh, let that happen. The young players are very good. The style of football is, to my taste, improved. Mm. But I don't think they're playing uh, playing particularly well at all. Um, the the main problem, I think, is that they've given a new position. Uh, to Ashley Young they're playing him in the hole behind off the front uh, which th throws a lot of um, onus on the players ingenuity and uh, tactical nous and, and Ashley Young has virtually none uh, the it's not something he can learn I mean, he's no, still a young player no, and... no there's no chance I, I mean, that's my assessment right. of him uh, I think that uh, that Martin O'Neill understood what what to do get him get, use his pace on the break use him on the left hand side with a whipped ball in 
with the right foot, which is a horrible, you know, every defender hates that, and Young was good at that. Um, but then uh, he's saying Downing, though. But there's not an awful, exactly. I assume, I assume what he wanted to do was the, you know, the left foot are on the right and the right foot are on the left, um, which is fine if they're Messi and Ronaldinho, <laughs> maybe right. not so good if they're Downing and... Um, or even Adam Johnson and um, uh, whoever England tried last time, Ashley Young. Um, so it, it, it's it's you know it's it's one of these fashions that doesn't always work. It depends on the players. Um, but uh, no, I, I I just think that Ulier should drop that idea. It was worth a try, but it hasn't worked. Graham, um, I'm I'm going to play. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm going to pretend I'm Jared Ulier's uh, uh, lawyer here, or or advocate, as you might say in Scotland, and say okay. Okay, well, let's talk about this realistically. I missed preseason when I came in. I have a goalkeeper who's who's a hundred years old and looks like he belongs in a coffin. I've got my, good though. What? Yes, in in 1998, um, I, I have a right back. Uh, a, you know, Carlos Cuellar is hurt. Um, Stylian Petrov, funnily enough, now that Martin's gone, he seems to get hurt all the time. I've got a whole bunch of players here who 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 didn't like Martin O'Neill, and another bunch of players who love Martin O'Neill and who hate me because I'm Gerard Houllier. Um, I've got I've got uh, John Carew who's going out of contract and is all sulky. I've got um, I've got this this this, this Stephen Ireland creature landed here. <laughs> And I have no idea what to do with him. I'm. I understand Martin didn't like him either, and I don't like him certainly. And I, I don't know what to do with this. And yet I'm, he can play. He's a, and yet he can play a little bit <laughs> theoretically. Um, I'm playing the kids, Bannon, Albrighton. These guys did so well in the FA Youth Cup. What's wrong with that, Martin? We're going to get a look at under Martin. And also, I'm playing the kids because let's face it: when a manager plays the kids and he loses, he, he doesn't get criticised as much. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I think if you wanted to be fair to Gerard Tulia, you would say any new manager coming into a team like Villa deserves a chance to at least recreate the team in his own image and a, and a football team in the image of Houllier would certainly be, I think we'd all agree on this, be drastically different from Martin O'Neill. Martin O'Neill liked a degree of muscular football. I saw it at Celtic. We've seen it at Villa. And I think what Martin O'Neill did have, which Houllier doesn't have, is Martin O'Neill could could lift the emotional temperature of a team. That's right. He could he could somehow make a team emotionally charged up. I remember Celtic Henrik Larsson saying to me that when you left the dressing room after listening to Martin O'Neill, my God, you wanted to go out there and and win at all costs. I don't think Houllier has got that spark. And I have to admit, I'm a bit of a Cooley cynic. I think his time has been and gone. Yes, give him a chance to recreate his own team, but I just think he, in the old disparaging phrase, he's a he's a bit of a yesterday's man in football and Villa. What about your fellow Scott Gary Mack? Surely he well, can miss the spirits yeah. and miss penalties. Yes, exactly. Yeah, although uh, <laughs> the famous penalty you missed at Wembley, Gab, I think you'll agree with me that the wind made the ball move on the spot just before he struck I, it. I, just for, for, for the record, I'm joking. I joke with yes, him a lot. Yes, I actually I know really like Gary McAllister. He's actually one. <laughs> no, I, I really do. I'm not. I'm not joking. I think he's, he's he's one of the bright guys and one of the good guys in the game. But, Okay, well, next week's question is uh, who did more to uh, derail the history of uh, Scottish footballing success, uh, Gary McAllister <laughs> or Alan Hansen? We messed up the great Willie Miller. But we won't go back to that. 
How about we move on to our debate? And we're going to start with uh, with a story north of the border. Um, I, Graham, I'm going to try to sum this up in, in 30 seconds. And I know I'll miss things. And I know that people will then write in and say, you didn't mention this about Doogie McDonald and blah, blah, blah. But it is a long story. And we do have limited time. So I'm going to crack on. Um, basically, uh, and you, you tell me if I'm wrong here. Basically, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, in a match involving Celtic, the uh, referee, Doogie McDonald, uh, uh, awarded a penalty. Then changed his mind about it, and uh, uh, he did speak to the linesman at one point. He said that he, he told Neil Lennon after the match that the linesman told him that um, that he got it wrong with the penalty call. The linesman later they denied it and gave a slightly different version, and effectively looked as if Doogie McDonald basically misrepresented the truth. And uh, several clubs have uh, um, have asked that Doogie McDonald resign. This whole thing then snowballed into a whole us versus them of the. Um, um, This whole thing snowballed in an us versus them thing with referees. The the Celtic chairman gave a speech at the Celtic AGM where he complained about the referees, where he asked for uh, a a full reform. The referees didn't like that, also because some of them were getting um, were supposed to getting death threats and abuse. Some referees, of course, in Scotland, they're all amateurs. They're getting uh, calls. uh, Their their employers were getting called, and people were they they were creating trouble for them at work. Um, Then there's a whole other story about Hugh Dallas and the Pope, which we don't have time for. But basically, long and short of it, referees decide to go on strike. That we, we, am I right so far? Yeah, yeah. The whole, yeah, yeah, The whole thing was triggered, as you said, by the by the fatal Doogie McDonald botch up at Tannadice about six weeks ago between Dundee United and Celtic. Doogie McDonald concocted this trifling fib between him and his linesman about why he made the decision. Fine, if it had stayed at that, fine. But half an hour after the game, Neil Lennon. The Celtic manager walked into the referee's room and said, what happened there? And Doogie MacDonald fatally passed on the fib or the lie or whatever you want to call it to Neil Lennon. Celtic can now say, the SFA have lied to us. We've been lied to, however trifling it was, and we don't trust the SFA. Why did he lie? Why, why didn't he just say? Like, well, it's, it's, as you said, Gab, it's too long to go into, but the linesman actually got into a panic about why they changed their mind on the refereeing decision. The linesman was worried about what the referee's supervisor in the stand might think, so they concocted this trifling fib. But the point was, they crossed the Rubicon when they passed the, the lie on to Lennon and Celtic. Now, there have been, you probably know this, you guys will know this, there have been years, decades of bad blood between Celtic and the SFA, where Celtic... In some respects, the immigrant club of Scotland have felt prejudiced against. And now Celtic officials, their supporters are saying, this is our big moment. We are going to beat the SFA with a stick over this. Um, Hugh Dallas has resigned. Celtic wanted his head. Dougie McDonald, the referee, last night resigned. If you go to Celtic Park this morning, you'll see the heads of Hugh Dallas and Doogie MacDonald on top of spikes outside the stadium with Celtic fans cheering. So there's been not a the real heads. I want to stress here, right? They're not. It's not, it's not their actual. <laughs> their actual. I just I never know. Being, I wasn't being literal. No. <laughs> right. Okay. But there's been this bad blood, and and this is and this also led to the referees taking industrial action. So it, it's been a, a saga from start to finish. All right. For 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 those who missed this point this weekend, the um with the industrial re- action, the the SFA and um, decided that the games are going to go again. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Go, go ahead anyway. They decided to uh, call in referees from elsewhere. Um, I don't think they sort of thought this through uh, particularly well because I think most referees wouldn't want to be scabs, which is effectively what these people were. So they invited, they tried people from Norway, from Poland, from Portugal, uh, uh, from Ireland, from Iceland. I'm going to miss out countries. They asked, asked everybody and their mother. In the end, they had to scratch the bottom of the barrel. They got uh, two guys from Malta, uh, one a Category 4 referee, uh, Mr. Borg and Mr. Lottier. Uh, two guys from uh, uh, from Israel, uh, Mr. Levy, another Category 3 referee. For those who don't know, that's the lowest category of referee that where you're allowed to uh, referee internationally. And somebody named Eli Hachman, who um, isn't even allowed to referee internationally. And then they got the wonderful Alan Hammer, who uh, um, is uh, he's, he's, he's from, he's from Luxembourg. Uh, he is an elite-level referee. He's a very good referee. He's also retiring in three or four weeks. And, um, well, as I seen, as I wrote last week, these sort of scabs hoid them out for their 800-pound uh, uh, match fee, basically. But um, I, I was just kind of wondering, this is obviously a one-off that they can't really do again because it is kind of a freak show when you've got referees like this. Right, Patty? Uh, well, I, I don't necessarily say that they can't go on strike again. I... I wish uh, the English referees had supported them. I would love uh, a referee strike. I think we're at a fundamental point in terms of in terms of respect for officials. Um, I think that a lot of um, civilized people will have sympathy with referees, and uh, and you know you've got to come down on one side. And, and I would certainly like to say that I'm very much on the referee's side in anything they did. I wouldn't care if they went on strike for the for the whole rest of the season in England, Scotland and throughout the world to make the point that the the level of abuse given to referees and people in public life these days is beyond uh, beyond acceptance. It's totally unacceptable and often criminal. Ollie, uh are you with uh, are you with Patty and the referees or do you side with uh, uh, Matthew Syed for example who uh, argues that referees should sort of suck it up and get on with it. Well, I think I think Matthew's um, column last week was was based on the idea that it, this was just normal abuse and, yeah. and and that you know it's it's part of the game and, and referees should get on with it. Whereas, first of all, it's not normal abuse by sporting standards anyway. But 
Secondly, it is a pretty extreme case, and it's a case where, um, I mean, it looks like it, the whole thing has reached a tipping point, really, in terms of uh, football's relationship with its referees, certainly in Scotland. And I hope certain lessons are learned, really, because I think I think there have been big mistakes on both sides. I think the whole relationship needs evaluating. But I'd, I was disappointed to see um, referees crossing the picket line, <laughs> uh, the proverbial picket line, yes. uh, at least. Um, they should be I would think that um, referees should notice, you know, should note what what was happening there. Note that it, it was a, you know, that their brethren were were making a stand and not um, and not yeah. and not cross the line. I, I just thought that was was staggering. You'd think a referee, the refereeing fraternity, would be uh, closer together than that. I can, I, sorry, I, I can tell you this, Ollie. Um, just the early indications coming out um, of, uh, of of Geneva and the refereeing folks there is. Don't expect Mr. Hammer to turn up on any UEFA committee once he retires, despite the fact he was an elite-level referee. And mm-hmm. as for Mr. Borg, Mr. Lottier, Mr. Hackman, and Mr. Levy, um, I don't think you're going to be seeing those guys doing any match of any no. importance for a while. Mm. No, I think there, there's Gab, some... that was Gab, that was part of this general farce. I mean, I mean these these incoming referees, everybody agrees they shouldn't have been coming into work because there was industrial action going on in Scotland. But the farcical nature of it was these guys coming from abroad were uninformed about what was happening. They didn't realise it was industrial action. Yeah. For example, officials arrived from from Portsmouth. They came to Glasgow Airport. You would have thought they might have boned up on what they were doing before they left. Yeah. But they came to Glasgow Airport and the Scottish rep said, guys, do you know what we're doing here? Mm. And they didn't even leave the airport. They turned around and flew home again. So in other words, the, 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 the white lie or lie of omission told by the SFA uh, costs Scottish football a lot of money in terms yeah, of, it, think, of wasted yeah. expenses. And and the, I don't think the SFA have come out of it well. I'd just like to, 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 to endorse what Graham said earlier about the historical background to this. And in fairness to Celtic, and I, 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 because Celtic's attitude, I mean, Graham was described it beautifully, the way the, the righteous indignation of this club that's been downtrodden for years. There was an element of truth in that, just as there was, the, this, it, which mirrors the seeds of the conflict in Northern Ireland, there was generally a Protestant superiority in various forms of authority, which existed in the 60s and the 50s and before then. Uh, It doesn't exist anymore. However, the lingering resentment of that is still felt in the otherwise absolutely admirable psychology of Celtic Football Club, one of my favourite clubs, I might say. But to pretend that they don't have an inferiority complex and a victimology culture uh, would be myopic. I've been interested, intimately interested in football for more than 50 years, and in all of that time, not one month has ever gone by in which somebody doesn't say, wouldn't it be nice if football officials and players had the similar, a similar sort of relationship to rugby ones? Uh, Not a month in those 50 years has gone by without people saying that and with a majority of decent, right-thinking people chorusing agreement. So now that... The the problem problem with that, Paddy, is that for most of those 50 years... Do we not mean it or are we just just all chorusing agreement? I I disagree. Okay, I I played rugby to a certain level. Uh, First of all, for the majority of those 50 years, rugby was an amateur sport, okay? So it it, it was was, was a completely different kettle of fish in many ways. Are you implying that golf is not a professional sport? 
sport. It's played to, to a golf proper standard. Golf doesn't have referees because there's you fill out your own. There's only one sport on earth that's played that, that, that is accompanied by the kind of vicious abuse that football no, shows I, I, for its I, officials. I, I agree. One I would, sport I would, on earth. I might suggest that rugby is also a bit different because, frankly, and if you've played rugby, you'll know I this. I have played rugby. Okay, then, then you'll know this. It's a privilege. The referee gets maybe like 1% of what actually goes on, especially in the modern game. Correct. He calls penalties. He doesn't have to explain but them. No, none of the matter. fans know. Why did you call a penalty there? Well, I don't know. I could have called it 50 times. He would refer- he could be flipping a coin for you know 50 in, times. I, I agree rugby referees aren't particularly wonderful, but, but the point is they'd be an awful lot worse if 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 the, if the, if, the if, if 16 players were emerging but, from each scrum I think, with uh, with swear words in I think there's a, there's a different expectation when you play rugby. You, 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 there's a different expectation of the accuracy. Expectations should change. But that's fine. Say, but football's not rugby. Football's right important. Football. You know, it, 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 football has a different level of importance culturally and socially around exactly. the world. Exactly, and that's why it should be <laughs> above uh, or, approach. Okay, well then, uh, I guess these are the two options. Then either we have uh, a different attitude, a more rugby attitude towards refereeing mistakes, like um, like Patty suggests, or I'm going to throw out my own idea here, and y'all can weigh in before we wrap this up, um, which is actually to have more scrutiny and more accountability of referees, but to do it in a different way, to accept yes. the fact that the referees are certainly in, in some leagues are professional, they're not in Scotland, but that they're competing against each yes, other. we can have and more scrutiny and more respect what together. I, what I, but what I would like to see, precisely because we have that, I would like to see the people who evaluate the referees, and they exist, um, uh, you know, on, on, on the part of, of the SFA, in, in this case, or, or whoever it is, um, and go out and make the reports public at the end of the game. Absolutely. Say, um, this guy did this, he got that wrong. Have your league, publish your league tables of referees and let us all accept that these people are human and some are better than others. Yes. Rather than these, this blanket protection of referees and blanket accusation of referees. Ollie, are you with me? No, completely. Of course not. You, I no, think no, it undermines their authority and brings an unnecessary element of pantomime to an already pantomime existence. Yes, live on your knees. Graham, do you agree with uh, Patty and Ollie, or do you think that, yeah. that players well, should show less respect? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if this is called sitting on the fence, but I agreed with Paddy's original point that um, probably some of the venom and the fervour has to be taken out of football. Football's Footballers' aggression towards a referee has to be reined in. Having said that, one of the things I love about football is it's visceral atmosphere. I don't want to live in a Mary Poppins universe where everything is purified. The only thing I would add about this refereeing saga in Scotland is, and this is different from what you guys see down south, we are talking here about the west of Scotland. There's a sectarian undercurrent beneath all of this, and in the cranky internet age, all of that is blown up, and referees are being threatened and receiving private abuse. So that is an important factor which has triggered this situation in Scotland. There's obviously also uh, cultural and historical reasons uh, behind it. Um, and, and maybe you can't come up with sort of a, a one-size-fits-all policy to uh, to solve this. And uh, I like to think we're mature enough for transparency and accountability. Others, like Ollie Kay, want to keep it shrouded in mystery so the rich can stay rich and the privileged can maintain their privilege. <laughs> you know. Uh, so we're going to take a quick look at 2018-2022 World Cup bidding. Um, the, uh, the 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 decision will be made on uh, uh, l- later this week. There's two days of presentations. Um, I want to throw out some 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 basic themes here um, that we can maybe hit very quickly. Um, one is, uh, do we do we believe that 
a lot of this media stuff that goes on, this is what I'm always struck. I've got the 2018 people on the phone, you know, to me inviting you to this event and meet Gary Lineker and blah, blah, blah. Does this stuff actually matter or is it just about convincing 12 of the uh, 22 Exco members? Patty. Well, I suppose it does matter in that uh, the more of a sort of head of steam is built up, the more of a, the more perception. I mean, the, the, the one thing you, you do notice is that the, the word travels instantly across the world now. You know, somebody can say something in London and within 10 minutes, uh, the pipsqueak uh, warner over in Trinidad is giving his view on it. Uh, and vice versa, it must be said. So, um, pipsqueaks like me um, criticizing Warner for his his reactions. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it, it, it is a, it, it's a it's very much an international village, um, and I, I can't help. Uh, uh, I'm counting the minutes till we get the the accursed thing over and done with on Thursday. Ollie, um, you make a, a, an interesting point today that. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of fallout if England um, fail to win, but that there's also going to be a sense that, oh, it was impossible because we're not like that. We don't go and bribe officials, and that's what you need to do. And, and this view that, this really negative view that pervades everything, that everything is sort of bent and corrupt, and unless you go and, 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 and do favors and get your hands dirty, you won't win anything. I, to, to, to what degree do you buy into that? Um, I think we'll have to wait and see on Thursday. I mean, the the. the um, well, sorry. What, what does that mean? That if England don't win, then it's corrupt. Then it's corrupt. Would, no, no. But if Qatar win, then it's. Well, let, let, let's say if Qatar win, and I, I, I am going to d- differ with your pronunciation of, of it. So, so ex- excuse the uh, inconsistency. Colonialist there, too. Yeah, exactly. If if if, um, if 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 Qatar um, actually win the thing. I mean, why why would you vote for Qatar? I I I just do not see it as a place where any right-minded person, apart from Paddy, would uh, would advocate having a World Cup. We've just had the technical reports, the evaluation reports back from there. They're they're pretty much awful in terms of um, well, in terms of an awful lot of the categories uh, regarded as high risk, etc. I I don't think it's somewhere that is ready to hold a a World Cup and and maybe never will be. I went there 12 months ago. I I, I had a I I thought it was a joyless, soulless place, um, which is the last place on earth I would like to have a World Cup. And if I mean, we, we, we gather that at least eight people will, will vote for Qatar because they've already decided to do so because they're in um, bed with Spain. And that, to me, sounds like people are voting for the wrong reasons. Ollie, uh, so am I right? I mean, if, if, I, if I can maybe sum up your point and tell me if I get this wrong, that you know, there's four nations bidding for 2018, there's five nations bidding for 2022. Of those nine nations who are bidding, there's some of them, which are plausible, like Spain and Portugal, or, or like England, I would take. Mm-hmm. There are some which you consider to be implausible, and so, ergo, if they win, then something a bit screwy must be going on. Is, is, that, is, that, is that fair? Is that accurate? Um, yeah, I, I, I'd say that's a reasonable um, appraisal of what I'd say. I, 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 I don't see any reasons why people will, will vote for Qatar apart from um, perhaps... Uh, no, let, 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 let's be careful about this. I, I, no, no, um, no, I, I, um, I, I struggle to see the reasons why, why people would vote for Qatar. I think Paddy has a different um, uh, view of Qatar than I do, having been there last week. But I'd, I, for me, if, if 
those technical reports are so wildly contradicted by the by the decisions of, of, of people to mm. to vote for for what look like strategic reasons mm. um, at best mm. um, to take the World Cup to Qatar. Then, yeah, I think I think the process is. But is you very know, you've dubious. got to be very very sorry. No, can no, I just make a no, go yeah. ahead, go ahead. But there's obviously a suspicion of collusion uh, between Spain and Qatar, which you know calculated towards. Uh, making them the victors of each uh, separate race. However, uh, the, the word collusion's chucked around an awful lot. Chucked um, in this case being a uh, precisely term. because I was about to talk about Mr. Blazer, who is in total collusion, permanent collusion. From what you read in the paper, the, this in this morning's Times, for example, there's an excellent article by Alec McGiven, who ran the England 2006 bid, which works on the assumption which we all work on, that. Warner has Blazer's vote in his pocket. Now, if By that the way, isn't collusion... Two, sorry, just if I can interject, just a second. this was the 2006 bid that found it appropriate to make a deal with Germany over 1996 yes. and then screw them over, and I use the term screw them over, and yes. try to steal the 2006 World Cup from Germany yes, to for be, shame. To be fair, for that, shame. Was, that was denied, although it is true. But yes, but this uh, is the kind of individual that yes, you're describing. Uh, okay. Exactly. And uh, so, in other words, this permanent institutionalized collusion... Um, in, in, in with the likes of Warner, so I mean, you know, to 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 be to be to feign shock at what Qatar and Spain are, in my opinion, perfectly legitimately doing, um, is I think a little ersatz. Graham, uh, can I can I throw something at you, which is that we we try to sort of divine what FIFA and what Blatter are going to do and, and so on, but ultimately there seems to be so much contradiction there because. What I see from a distance is a lot of people say, I don't like joint bids, and uh, um, and FIFA supposedly don't like joint bids. If you're not going to have joint bids ever again, I got news for you, your country will never, ever, ever host a World Cup. And in fact, there's only maybe 30 countries in the world who could host a World Cup. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think Scotland can harbor any illusions about... Uh about hosting a World Cup uh, other than in a, a joint way within it, uh, with, a, with a country like England, and, and even then, Scotland would be very much the poor relation of the of the bid. I mean, as a Scotsman, I can quite happily say I think it would be fantastic for England to host a World Cup in 2018 or, or anywhere else in terms of atmosphere and, and yeah. stadiums and crowds. I, I can't see why it would fail. But the one the one factor here that does go against England is probably. We live in a climate of, of open self-criticism in this country, and, and therefore you get things like panorama happening, which some people think may harm the bid. Now, I quite like that impressive self-criticism, but that is one difference between the way the England bid uh, is something the England bid is having to put up with, and it may be something that plays into the hands of people like Jack Warner and, yes. and other people who are not at all overly warm towards the FA or, or to Great Britain. Yes, I'm very proud of the Sunday Times as journalism, and and very ashamed of people like Jack Warner. Well, I, 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 you know, I'm proud to be part of the British press, and not very often, but at the moment I am, and 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 ashamed that football is run in the in the obviously corrupt way that that, that the Sunday Times proved. And in, at risk of a risk of. Um, Contradicting my earlier stance on referees, I think one thing that should be transparent is the voting for this um, for this um, absolutely World Cup. What uh, could be more appropriate on Thursday? I mean, what the, could be the, more the fact appropriate? That it's secretive. I mean, 
But well, why should it be secretive? Well, I, I is, it, is it perhaps not a slightly more of a protection against corruption that it is um, yeah. that, that it is a secret ballot? Because if let's pretend that Patty no. here is I'll is, is a bad. Well, I, 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 I just want to put the scenario because I, I won't get it. Yeah. Um, you can both tell me. I, but let's pretend Patty is is a bent, dubious exco uh, member, <laughs> um, and the you know the. the mm. I can pay Patty a million dollars to 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 back my bid, yeah. and then producer Skinner over here goes and does the same thing, and Graham does the same thing. He collects money from all of them, yes. and, and then he votes for whoever he likes, and then he comes back to me and says, "Ha ha, you know, I, I I voted. Oh, I supported you. It's not my fault. It's a secret ballot." That's why there wouldn't, is a secret ballot. Right? Wouldn't have because an open ballot the, make it uh, even the, more the, corrupt. Up, apart from the Sunday Times, the greatest danger of disclosure is is a is a briber scorned. Basically, that's the, he. That's where they fear that the whistle would be blown. Uh, and so we can have all sorts of scorned bribers here. And, and, and if you had an open vote, it would be more of a guarantee of of. Well, obviously, it would be more transparency, but there would be less bribery if there was an open public vote. For Why would there reason. be less? But you would have the same amount because of bribery. The but you they, wouldn't have the people coming they, forward and complaining. They played bribes and got nothing in return, the re, right? The, yes, exactly. And that's that's the whistleblowing that they fear. In other words, we paid this uh, person uh, a million quid, and he voted the other way, as as indeed um, McGivens' article. Uh, makes clear this morning and this morning's time is common practice. I, well, on, on, on that note, to, to, to just if we just go around the table and we'll do this sort of Academy Award style, in other words, will win, should win for for. So I'm going to say 2018, and you'll tell me will win X, should win Y, and then I say 2022 will win X, should win. Patty Barkley, 2018. Uh, 2018 should be England. I fear it will be Russia, which isn't even a football country. In 2022, I would be very happy to see another World Cup go to the United States. And who will win? Qatar. Graham. Uh, 2018 should be England. Uh, probably will be Spain, Portugal. 2022 uh, should be Australia. And I think will be Australia. Ollie? Uh, 2018 should be England, or failing that, Spain. Um, will be Russia, partly because um, Spain uh, seem to have played their cards wrong in, the, um, in their campaign. Uh, 2022 should be the United States, will be the United States. Thank you to all my guests today, Patty Barkley, Ollie Kay, and from north of the border, Graham Spears. We're going to be back next Monday with another podcast. In the meantime, you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis, and also our web chats. I do mine on Mondays. Uh, Ollie's is on Wednesdays. Patty, yours is? Tuesdays. There you go. You can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm on there. Ollie's on there. Patty's on there, too, very rarely. Thanks so much for all your time, and uh, we'll catch you on the other side.